Hello, everyone. Welcome to Alliance Bible Church. And I would like to give you guys the announcements for this week. So to start off with, we want you guys to watch your email uh, for the invitation to the church coffee hour. It happens every Wednesday at 1030 a.m. You'll see an email inviting you to a, a, a Zoom meeting. Okay, a second announcement is we would like you to join us for a brief time of prayer. Every Thursday at 8 o'clock, we have a Zoom prayer meeting. And we start the meeting at about 7.30. Actually, no, we start the meeting at 7.45. But the reason we do that is because we, we like to chat. We're a chatty folk, and we like to talk to each other. So come join us starting at 7.45, but the real prayer meeting will start at 8, okay? Oh! The pastor search committee uh, is working diligently. They're sorting through resumes and praying earnestly. Please pray for wisdom as they continue their search. I know right now we have more than 50 uh, resumes to go through. Oh, announcement number four. Small groups are still up and running. If you're interested in being part of a small group, either in person or via Zoom, just contact the office. Sue will get you, uh, help you out with that and get you squared away so that we can get you uh, um, back into your uh, uh, small group meetings. Because I tell you what, I really like my small group. And uh, if you want to come on Tuesday nights and meet with uh, Aaron and um, uh, Shelby, myself, Sue, and um, my daughter, and uh, Christine, and Debbie, uh, we're, we're having a wonderful Tuesday evening meeting. It's a, it's a, it's a sermon-based group. All right, last announcement. If you would like to read scripture for, in the announcement, or you would like to do the announcements, what I'm doing right now, we would love to have you do this. We'd like to share the wealth. Okay, so um, contact the office. Let Sue know, and she'll make sure the per powers that be find out about it. Okay, so we look forward to hearing from you, look forward to seeing you, and look forward to sharing our life with you in the near future. So, and that's the end of the announcements for uh, Sunday, May 10th. You guys have a wonderful Sunday. Oh Lord my God when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands hath made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. Thou 
scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my Scripture reading today is from 1 Samuel, the first chapter. Now there was a certain man from Rametha Zipham in the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeremel, the son of Elu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. <clears throat> and he had two wives, and one was named Hannah, and the name of the other was Penah. And Penah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord from the hosts of Silo. And the two sons of Eli, Hopnah and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penah, his wife, and all his sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give double portions, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. As often as she wept up, went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking at Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she greatly distressed, praying to the Lord, and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the afflictions of thy maidservant, and remember me, and not forgive the maidservant, forget the maidservant, but will give the maidservant his son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking to the, her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make 
yourself drunk. Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in her due time, after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his host to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vows. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until he was weaned. Now when she weaned him, she took him up with her and the three-year-old bull and one epithet of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Have a nice day. Hello there, Alliance Bible Church. Happy Mother's Day. You know, in light of the scripture we're reading and the fact we're going to talk a little bit about moms today, I wanted to read you something that I saw on the internet a little while back. It's a tongue-in-cheek job description for what it takes to be a mother. Check this out. Job description. Long-term team players needed for challenging permanent work in an often chaotic environment. Candidates must possess excellent communication and organizational skills and be willing to work variable hours, which include evenings, weekends, and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Some overnight travel will be required, including trips to primitive camping sites on rainy days and potentially endless sports tournaments in cities far away. Travel expenses will not be reimbursed. Extensive courier duties are also required. The responsibilities? You must be willing to be disliked at least part of the time or until somebody else needs money. You must bite your tongue continually. Also, you must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule and the ability to go from zero to 60 in under three seconds just in case the screams from the yard this time are not just crying wolf. You must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as small gadget repair, mysteriously sluggish toilets, and stuck zippers. You must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, coordinate production of multiple homework assignments, 
You must have the ability to plan and organize social gathering for clients of all ages and mental outlooks. You must handle assembly and product safety testing for half a million cheap plastic battery operated devices. You must always hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. You must assume final complete accountability for the quality of the end product. <clears throat> Responsibilities also include floor maintenance, janitorial work throughout the facility, and be aware this responsibility may last for life. Possibilities for advancement and promotion are virtually none for the first couple of decades. The job is to remain your position for some years without complaining, with constant training and updating your skills so that those in your charge can ultimately surpass you. The promotional opportunity in the decades to come will be that you may attain the enlightened role of grandma, at which point all responsibilities and safety concerns are optional. Previous experience, none required, unfortunately. The online job training is offered with continually exhausting uh, continuum. Wages and compensation, get this, you don't get paid, you pay them. Offering frequent raises is a bonus. A balloon payment is due when the child turns 18 because the assumption that college will ultimately help them become financially independent. And when you die, you're left to give them whatever is left. The oddest thing about this reverse salary scheme is you actually enjoy it and often wish you could do more. The benefits? Well, there's no health insurance, dental insurance, no pension, no tuition reimbursement, paid holidays, and no stock options. The job supplies limitless opportunities for personal growth and free hugs for life if you play your cards right. You know, I, I read all this to kind of acknowledge the challenging but rewarding opportunity that we know as motherhood. Moms have a unique and powerful role in our lives and also a unique set of challenges. Today we're going to look at a mother who had a really powerful legacy in scripture. The impact of this woman's life um, will impact the entire nation of Israel from the kings who sit on the throne to those who go off into war. But interestingly enough, she starts out with some humble, simple, and challenging circumstances. The first couple verses tell us that um, Hannah was married to Elkaniah, the son of Jeruham, and that Elkaniah also had two wives. The name of one of these was Hannah, and the second was Penina. We learn from verse 2 that Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Now, it would have been custom back in ancient times that if you were married, and if your first wife did not produce children for you, oftentimes it would be custom to take a second wife so that the man could pass on his lineage and his family name. One of the things I appreciate about Scripture is that it shows descriptively how people lived, some of our heroes of scripture, and it shows us even the imperfections in their life. While Elkaniah is married to two wives, we know that isn't God's prescriptive plan for mankind, but that's where we, where we pick up the story and where we find this family today. That tells me that even though God's highest isn't always lived out in our life, that he can use broken people, even Elkaniah, even Hannah, and even folks like us. Verse 3 goes on to tell us that this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. So we know he was faithful. He was someone who uh, went to temple. And he would uh, visit the priest, Eli, 
whose two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also priests of the Lord. We'll find out later that they aren't the greatest priests of the Lord ever, and that, quite frankly, Eli has some shortcomings. But all of that to come. It tells us that Elkaniah sacrificed, and he would give Penina and her children each a portion of that, but he would give Hannah a double portion because he loved her. So we find Hannah kind of in this conundrum. The good news is that she has a husband who loves her, and the bad news is the whole polygamous dynamic in the relationship is not God's highest. You know, it's kind of funny, as a pastor, sometimes people try to argue with me that sex outside of marriage is permissible. The scripture they cite, if they so choose to cite scripture, is Old Testament passages where it talks about heroes in our faith or, or people after God's heart who were polygamous in the Old Testament. It's intriguing to me in part because if you want to read through those descriptions of those polygamous relationships, there's regularly, if not always, a description of how much of a mess that actually was. Abraham's got to be still kicking himself at his choice to take someone other than his wife. That same practice didn't work well for Jacob, and quite frankly, the scripture tells us that Solomon was led astray by the multiplicity of women in his life. In a way, all cultures across human history have been tempted to import cultural baggage into how they worship. Well, for most of America, that would preempt polygamy. We would see that in our expectations of what religious life should look like. Maybe for us, it's the expectations of getting a white picket fence or extra biblical expectations of how God's going to provide for us if we lay down our life to him. Maybe we expect our next pastor to look a certain way or a worship team to play certain songs or use certain instruments. But I can say all of us are guilty at taking expectations that are outside of the Bible and at times laying those on God in expectation of how he would treat us. Verse 8 goes on. It says, Elkaniah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now, poor Hannah. I mean, here she is, a woman who's loved by her husband but has to compete with another wife. And when she's sad at this yoke of barrenness in her life, and her husband can see it, he doesn't seem to get what it's like to help her grieve. Have you ever been that way where others around you just didn't seem to understand where you're coming from, to be in a place where they couldn't um, share your grief with you? I mean, it's quite obvious to me from how he reacts in Scripture that, that Elkaniah did not read God's healings for life losses. And as it stands, Hannah doesn't seem to have anyone in her life to share her trials with other than herself. You know, there was a story I, I read recently about a counselor who's who's counseling a couple kind of reminded me of this and and the counselor brought in the couple and started in with the wife asking her hey what's the problem and the wife said hey my husband doesn't seem to listen to me and he doesn't seem to do things that help me feel special and she lists this great long list and the counselor starts off with what he thinks is a softball in the in the relationship and says to the husband hey is it true that you don't buy her flowers to which the husband answers back to be quite honest, 
I didn't even know she sold flowers. Guys, if you don't even know what your wife does, that's a problem. If you're not even getting what she's talking about, that's potentially even a bigger problem. Verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Eli the priest was sitting on the seat besides the doorpost of the temple, and Hannah was deeply distressed. She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Then she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will also give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. One of the lessons from Hannah's life is she seeks out God in her troubles. She seeks out God in her troubles. See, sometimes it takes painful experiences to put us in dedicated postures of obedience. It can take an exhaustion of our own efforts to come to a place of surrender where we want to hand everything over to God, realizing we can't fix it in and of ourselves. I don't know if you've ever had a time like that, where pain has just brought you to the point where there's nothing else you can do about it and you feel like the only sensical thing you can do with this pain is to hand it over to God. Hand over your exhaustion, hand over your weariness, hand over your confusion. Scripture tells us in the New Testament about a night the disciples had like that. In Luke 5, Jesus sees them out on a boat and asks them if they've caught any fish. And they say they've toiled all night, but have nothing to show. They haven't caught a thing. But they learn very quickly from relying on the Lord that he can come meet them where they're at in their exhaustion. See, you can sometimes in life try to get out of the rut, but there'll be times where that work will go to no avail. Maybe that yoke of barrenness on your life won't be destroyed by your own effort, and you'll need to hand that over to the Lord. Often, yet ironically, we act like it's the Lord's burden that is burdensome and wearisome in our life. Like following after God, having a prayer life, and going to church, and, and giving Him our heart and our dedication, like that's a super heavy yoke to carry. And we'll often even treat God like that until we get to a point where we're too exhausted from carrying the yoke of the world and have to hand that over to God. See, there, there's, two, there's two yokes you can carry in the world. Jesus says in the New Testament, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But there's another yoke, a yoke of the world, that's not so easy and not so light. In fact, those yokes are given to wear down and ultimately can even destroy people. The pain, the past experiences, the past failures can lead us to not want to pray one more time, to not want to hand over to God one more time the thing that we've already handed over to him. In Hannah's case, thankfully, despite the pain, she had the resolve to pray again and hand this all over to God one more time. It says, as she continued praying in verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed in her mouth, Hannah was speaking in her heart, but only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and he said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? 
put your wine away from you. Poor Hannah. I mean, you figure she lives in a household where she's at odds with the other wife in the home. Her husband, although he loves her, is completely clueless of where she's coming from and what she needs. And we find out here the priest hadn't read any books about grieving himself either. So she goes to temple thinking that's a place where she's going to get away. Maybe that's some place where she can have an encounter with Jesus or at least find people who understand her. And the district superintendent comes over and says, Ma'am, you're drunk. When are you going to stop coming to church drunk? You know, thank God for Jesus that he can understand us. That out of all the imperfections of, of our families and of ourselves and of the people at church, that God is a God who knows our pain and knows our challenges. In Hebrews 4, it tells us that we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize to our weaknesses. That because Jesus, our high priest, came to earth, felt what we felt, suffered things like what we go through, he saw and felt our pain, and he promises to act on our behalf. But you've got to seek him and not give up. Hannah, I'm sure, would have been tempted through her pain and suffering to give up but she kept seeking the Lord all the more as she came across challenges. Verse 15, But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring my soul out before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Eli answered back, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. She said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And the woman went her way, and she ate, and her face was no longer sad. See, Hannah's faith in this case was honored, that in spite of the lack of empathy around her, she had found favor with God. Another godly woman whose story reminds me kind of of Hannah's was Susanna Wesley. She was a woman of great faith, and it, and it said that she prayed for two hours a day. She even organized her children so that she could accomplish this. She had 10 of them, and she would set up the older ones to watch the younger ones in turns and take care of each other so that she would have time to get away and pray. This was part of the system that influenced Methodism. And in the beginning is what uh, distinguished Methodists and their way of doing things. John and, and Charles Wesley, of course, were the famous Wesley brothers, whose little boys would watch their mom get away to pray. And they noticed if she couldn't escape to go pray because the, the children watch schedule wasn't working, she would actually flip up her apron over her head and pray. John and Charles would, would go about to evangelize tens of thousands of people and write thousands of hymns. And they explained that their primary, most powerful godly influence in the, their life was their mother. See, we can follow an example of what to do with the Lord with our problem like Hannah's and hand our lives over. Or, like some people who came to Jesus with issues or challenges, we can choose to not do that. One example is out of Luke 18. There's a verse, there's a story called the rich young ruler. 
The story goes like this. A rich ruler came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what do I need to do to establish eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There is no one good except for God alone. Do you not know the commandments? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witnesses, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and father. And he said, the rich young ruler said, I've done all these things since my youth. So here was this young man. He had it all, right? Young, rich, powerful, everything that the world says is what you need to be successful. He had all the right answers. He could even say before the crowd of people in the town around him, hey, there's been no major sin in my life. When Jesus heard this, instead of arguing with him about the sin in his heart, he asked him one question. He told him one thing. There's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. You'll have great treasure in heaven and then follow me. But when the man heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. See, part of getting God's grace in our life is, pre, is preempted by us giving up the good things in our life so that God can give us the best things in our life. See, this, this gospel thing isn't just a nice add-on to our lives. It's going to be the most powerful thing in your entire life. That you may be asked to give up, like the disciples did, comfort or closeness with family or geographical proximity in order so that you can engage God's highest. This is a struggle for all of us and was even a struggle with Hannah. Think about this. This woman prayed for a child and was without one. But when she prayed to God to have that prayer of hers answered, she also promised, God, if you give this to me, I will give it right back to you. See, we need to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us that kind of release and healing. That it's the Holy Spirit who's going to step up and deliver us from ourselves into God's mighty glory. God's asking us to commit to a lifestyle of learning and obedience to Him. To give Him thankfulness for the long haul. That our laying down our lives to Him is not just a way to be saved, but it's the launch out with Jesus on a long journey back from brokenness and into wholeness in His perfect will. That if you're willing to walk all the way, every hard step, then you're a wise person, even if you're not wealthy. It says in verse uh, 18 or 19, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before God. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkaniah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. See, when you pray a great prayer, oftentimes that should lead to a great sense of worship. Hannah was faithful when the Lord answered her prayer and she would go worship him. 
In fact, it will say in the next chapter that she actually wrote a song about how he answered her prayer and about how faithful that God was. Contrast that to the rich young ruler who had everything and was, when he was asked to give up, not even personal, but non-material possessions, he couldn't let it go. See, the answer for that kind of release is Jesus. In, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus tells us, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. There's no formula, technique, or strategy, or program to overcome all of the world's brokenness or barrenness. But through it all, I can tell you, Jesus promises to be there. When you're so tired of everything and things that you've tried haven't worked out, Jesus is there asking for you to give him your whole heart and keep focused on him that you might find rest for your soul. Verse 23 says, Elkaniah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you and wait till you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an epa of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. Eli and she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition that I made for him. Therefore I lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Like we noted before, Hannah, Hannah gave up the thing that she most loved to God. And that's often one of our biggest spiritual tasks in life, isn't it? Giving all we have over to God and letting him do what he wishes with us. There's stories like that throughout the Gospels of Jesus, whether it's the widow and the mite or the valuable pearl. People who are self-sacrificial in the way that they love the Lord. And that's a reflection of Christ's love for us, right? Coming to earth, bearing all sins, and being self-sacrificing throughout every being of his person. And sometimes the people who remind me the most of that sacrifice are moms. Moms can be that strength and that deep sense of identity, kind of like the uh, Susanna was to the Wesleys. But like anybody else, they can need our support and our love. You know, the uniqueness of how God expresses his character, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is deep and wide enough. I think that's part of the reason he chose gender as how he would embody that in human beings. See, the Trinity recognizes different roles amongst itself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And like I was telling one of our church members today, the interesting thing about those three distinct sets of identity that were both God is there's no conflict between them. There's no bitterness, there's no enmity, there's no jealousy, right? The Holy Spirit and the Son aren't argue, arguing to the Father, oh my gosh, he made the last universe, why don't I get to make this one? But that's the difference between God and us. God lives in a, as a differentiated entity in perfect union, different but equal, 
and those of us here on earth are still trying to figure that one out. History is littered through with areas of iniquity in regards to gender. But yet, throughout Genesis and Scripture, there's reminders of God's identity in both of our genders. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his image. In his image, he created them, male and female. And in verse 5, uh, Genesis, sorry, 5, 1b through 2, it says, When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind. Mankind. In God's creation accounts, he includes both genders as unique and equal, powerful expressions of the differences and gifts that he gave us to share amongst ourselves for the betterment of one another and in tune with the harmony of God's glory. The way to getting to that place is by learning mutual and understanding, by learning trust and interrelationship through the power of the gospel. See, the gospel is God's unique message to earth about how the Son came to earth, atoned for mankind's sins, and opened up heaven's gates for all who want to accept his sacrifice. But yet, not only is the gospel here for our sense of salvation, it's here so that we can understand sanctification and learn grace to deal with one another as we embrace one another and love one another amidst our sense of fallenness. That grace should move us closer together in the same way that Jesus laid down his life so that we might come closer to him as we learn to love and trust and accept one another and lay down our lives on behalf of one another in our families, in our church community, and in our gospel family across the globe. It'll call us together in a closer, more intimate set of God-likeness than we've known before. See, all of that plan was God's original idea. See, there's something about God's plan with gender and God's plan with motherhood, which is powerful and unique. It resonates with the way he built us, with the way he were raised. And like all of God's plans, it's powerful, it points to his love, and it points to his greatness. So in the way that all of you moms embody that for all of us. We'd just like to say thank you. You're a special piece of how God relays his love here on earth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for this holiday, which recognizes some of the most important people in our communities. Lord, we ask that, we ask that our love and our graciousness would be present just in an extra amount this Sunday, that we would all come to have respect for the way that we were loved growing up by our moms, that we might see your identity in it, Jesus, and that we might love you all the more for it. In your holy and heavenly name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thou my best 
Thou my true word I ever with Thee and Thou with me, Lord Thou my great Father and I Thy true Son Thou in me dwelling and I King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befalls, still be my vision. Oh